0: INNOVATION
1: ROCKSTARS, Rockstars. INNOVATION ROCKSTARS Today with Gabriele Rizzo, Research Director of the Swiss Center for Positive Futures at the University of Lausanne. Hi and welcome back to INNOVATION ROCKSTARS. My name is Chris Mühlroth and in this episode I am excited to welcome Gabriele Rizzo. Gabriele did his PhD in string theory and astrophysics and he founded the Swiss Center for Positive Futures, the new research institute and summit of futures thinking at the University of Lausanne, uh, where he serves as its director of research. He is also the UNESCO chair candidate for positive futures, futures literacy and anticipation, futures advisor to the chief scientist to the United States uh, States Space Force and United States Air Force member at large, Strategic Foresight and Future Studies at NATO, National Lead on Futures Thinking at the General Office for Defense Innovation at the Italian Ministry of Defense, and a former Ministerial Advisor for Futures to the Italian Minister of Defense. Now, that's a lot, Gabriele. I hope I got all of this right. Thank you so much for joining us. I am excited to have you on the show. Chris, it's great to be here with you. You got it all 100% right. Perfect. Awesome. So we start straight away with a short 60 seconds introduction sprint. It's all about you and your professional career. So for the next 60 seconds, the stage is all yours. Let's go.
0: Thanks, Chris. Well, I was a kid fascinated by how nature works and what nature hides. When I was eight, Reading an article on Scientific American about black holes and how crossing the event horizon is a non-event, I decided I had to become a physicist. And that bliss, that awe is dear to me. I can't help it. I am fascinated by imagination, by people and their creativity. I didn't know back then, but that inspiration was the key for me to become a futurist because in the future, everything can be possible. You create your own limits and unleash the power of imagination. Alone, in a small group, or in a large group. You turn boundaries into limits. A boundary is what prevents wielding the power of act. Limits are the intrinsic condition for the production of new possibles. Because for something to be possible, it can be possible anything. If anything is possible, nothing is real.
1: All right, uh, Gabriel, so next, here are three sentence starters for you and I would like to ask you to complete them. Let's start with number one. Uh, being a futures advisor means? Providing
0: a seamless transition from near to far with incredible sharpness so that leaders can see no limits in their opportunities. If I can have another sentence here. <laughs> I'd say that there's a whole lot more to being a futures advisor. And one of them one of the things being that most of times whenever you try to advise people in thinking twenty years out or forty years out, people think that every decision accumulates at the further hand of the of the time horizon. And that's simply not true. But we'll talk about this
1: later on. Absolutely. Let's talk about this later on. And then number two, um, one of the most important things I learned from my doctorate in the fields of strength theory and astrophysics is... Is
0: thinking in terms of organizing principles. Um, uh, physics as, as a model of, of reality, as a model of nature, uh, helps you in thinking with fundamental principles. And that's extremely helpful. As a... It's probably the most precious compass you can have when it comes to navigating complexity.
1: It probably is, thank you. And finally, number three. Uh, If I could give you exactly one book recommendation, it would be this.
0: Um, I'm stealing your single book recommendation and making this multiple. So, if there's a casual reader that's interested about the future, I'd recommend Future Shock by Alvin Toffler. That's a masterpiece uh, written in the the 70s and it's so very compelling even today. If you're learning about futures, I'd suggest Thinking About the Future by Andy Hines and Peter Bishop. And I could also suggest my book, HR Futures 2030. For the future's professional, uh, definitely I would recommend Transforming the Future that's edited by Real Miller. And I could also suggest my latest handbook of foresight, strategy, and future studies for defense and security.
1: Awesome. Thanks. I'll take all five of them. That's great. And Gabriele, it's really great to have, you know, such a visionary futurist and innovator here um, um, in the show today. So I got got a lot of questions for you, but let's start with the basics. Um, As I learned, you founded the and you are the director of research um, at the Swiss Center for Positive Futures. Now, the term positive futures sounds like a deliberately chosen expression to me. So, So can you maybe at first please explain how you define the term positive futures?
0: Uh, Chris, you're exactly right here. Uh, it was a deliberate choice uh, because the, we're not seeing positive as in the opposite of negative. And it's not even positive as in uh, just the fruit of experience. So um, it's about being all-encompassing, it's being able to um, involve all the aspect of a a certain, um, of a certain uh, part that you're trying to study. And uh, in this case, so it's, it's about having the presence rather than the absence of distingu- distinguishing traits. So positive futures are all-encompassing, are constructive, and uh, you know, g- getting more in-depth in the content are also about the highest hope we can try
1: to have got it so it means all encompassing it means means constructive so so does that mean that there is no negative futures i i, I suppose you get asked this question quite a lot but just to confirm um, absolutely
0: that's i mean that's always the number one, one question i get so uh, oh that's positive futures so what about the negative ones and the, no you're you're not you're not looking at this in the right way <laughs> so it's positive negative futures uh, you' you're attributing a judgment to it. Positive futures is about uh, holding back judgment and trying to integrate all the parts in this uh, you know uh, future orientation, this forward view that you're trying to build um, it's about also reframing our narrative about the dark. The idea of positive futures is uh, is twofold is about um, f- from one hand changing the way we think about the dark and we use the dark so changing the dark from a pl- from a place that's filled up with monsters to a place that is a source of creativity and inspiration and on the other hand uh it's about preparing a uh, the preconditions for a step change in the long-term civilization direction of travel so it's to do this uh, there's a whole lot of background. I'm sure we'll get into that later.
1: Got it, okay. And uh, aside from that question, so whether or not there is a negative futures, what, what is kind of the number one or then maybe number two question you get ask all the time on positive futures and what is your answer to it?
0: Well, th- definitely the number one question is what about the negative ones? Uh, and, and then it's, well, uh, how do you do this? So how can you be so integrative, so um, uh, all-encompassing, and so high-hoping for uh, this kind of perspective? And, uh, you know, in, in this case, there's a whole structure to it, because the moment we're willing to create something that is uh, so powerful and so um, driving for people, um, then to create such a massive change, a massive shift in the way we're interpreting civilization as as an entire concept, there's something that, that can drive you. And in reframing the way we think about the dark, we understand that we can reframe the way we think about ourselves and hope. Hope is the single most important driver we can have when we are exploring uncharted waters of of uncertainty, unknown and complexity. What can we hope for? Uh, There's a whole branch of of philosophy that's about uh, hope and uh, how can we attribute value to hope and uh, we follow Florida's approach to hope that attributes as a value to hope the value of the object of hope so if you are into this approach then the highest value you can have is the divine so what we can do is hoping for the qualities of the divine so we are um, able to impress this decisive and deliberate and uh, groundbreaking change in our in the direction of travel of our entire civilization over the long term the moment we are Hoping so we are aspiring to the qualities of the divine and That is the way that are that's you know There's an entire field in the philosophy of theology about the qualities of the divine, but this so they're so very practical Because they're metaphors so to understand how we can interpret these qualities into a uh, technology-driven and pragmatic and actionable way we are able to understand these directions as metaphors. So, omnipresence, uh, perfect knowledge, perfect uh, goodness, uh, and, and, you know, all the others. These are three, for instance, just at the top of my head. Uh, We can interpret them as metaphors. Metaphors are a a very important part of the uh, methodologies and techniques we use within the Swiss Center for Positive Futures. Um, So, after that, we've got uh, reframing the, uh, the narrative about the dark. And the dark doesn't, doesn't just have the outside part, that's hope, it has an inside part that's our inner dimensions. So one of the other things that we do is understanding how are your, our biases and, and resistances, are driving us and are uh, um, bounding our imagination and our po- and our creativity, so that we are able to unleash this power by using these biases and resistances not anymore as boundaries. So something that's just uh, you know um, avoiding that that's that's hampering that's you know stonewalling uh, the power to create. Fr- So from being boundaries to being limits, that's, you know, the lines and the field where to play without the lines and a field, you can't play. You don't know what games you're playing, but limits are what makes possible the uh, to unleash the might of creativity. And that's something that we are um, that's very dear to us in the way we're framing uh, resistances and biases as compasses, as limits, not
1: as boundaries. So that, that's great. And let, let's now get, you know, directly to the Swiss center for positive futures as introduced earlier, you know, you founded it, um, and you are the director of research there. So, you know, what, what you just described basically, can, can I understand this to be the purpose and also the mission of that center?
0: That's a great question, Chris. And that also allows me to continue my, my sermon here. Uh, because once we have, uh, this whole, uh, vision about positive futures, as I said, how, how do we, how do we actually implement this? Well, it turns out that it, that is crucial in this, the human part, having the human at the core of strategies and designs that are willing to aspire to positive futures. And so what we do at the center is that we develop futures literacy for human sustainability towards positive
1: futures. Got it. Now, how, how do you do this? Exactly. I mean, there, the, you know, there needs to be a founding story to that center, I guess. Right. So I'd be really interesting to hear. How come? Yeah. How, how did you, why, how, and then so sort of the, how we, we clarify, but how did you do that? Why um, at Lausanne? Um, that, that'd be really interesting to hear. And then also, I, I'd love to hear more about you know the actual implementations. Um, um, but let's start with the founding story first. So how come? How, how did you start that? And how, how? What's the story behind?
0: Oh, that's, that's a, there's a wonderful story behind the the founding of the Swiss Center for Positive Futures, and I'm I'm very happy to share this with you and, and our audience today. Uh, the I it all, it all started before COVID, and it seems ages ago. Uh, But before COVID, at Lausanne, there was a future skills lab. So the very seed of futures thinking, very experimental, uh, very ambitious, but, you know, very, uh, very niche. And, you know, uh, as just an avant-garde, in a a sense. Um, So what happened is that the founder of the future skills lab, uh, Isabelle Chapuis, that's now my co-founder of the Swiss Center for Positive Futures, um, she was willing to start her journey uh, through futures and foresight, but coming from uh, directing the executive education department, so she's a longtime uh, director, she founded the executive education department, brought that to uh, in- impressive heights at the University of Lausanne, then pivoted to this other adventure, and she felt that futures were important in this, but she qu- didn't quite have the grasp to uh, to work in futures. So she reached out to uh, who is doing this in the best possible way, That that is the defense world. And in the defense world, she reached out to the head of anticipation of the Swiss armed forces, that coincidentally is a friend of mine because, I mean, it's, it's a small crowd in the, for, in the defense foresight. So she reached out to him and he reached out to me and we made the connection. What happened is that she wanted to do something about HR. And you can imagine that HR is not very enticing for this this defense guy working in the, in the classified world, <clears throat> but she was extremely well prepared and she, she delivered a great pitch. And the bottom line was, well, look, education is our first line of defense. And I'm like, that's President Truman. You did your homework. And, and so, so she
1: used that word, first ec- line of defense. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And that's, that's how all the, all the journey started.
1: Beautiful. That's beautiful. And, and on, on the topic of, of HR, actually, I, I, you know, found that you and I guess together with her, you released a book, published a book on HR futures. Uh its title is HR futures 2030 if i'm um not mistaken uh, exactly um a design for future ready human resources um so ca- can you tell me what does future ready hr look like
0: um that's a wonderful question we have a symposium on this
1: uh the
0: uh, but i mean in in just a few words uh, I'd say there's, there's several things that we have discussed even before. Um, first of all, uh, future-ready future human resources will have to be complex to be able to take advantage of the complexity of the environment. And by being organizational complex, then you're also able to be anti-fragile. So you, you are able to thrive under stress. Rather than rather than breakdown, you're not just withstanding stress. That's being robust. You transition to be anti-fragile. Now, it's it's interesting to know that anti as described by,
1: um, was it Nassim Taleb? Not one hundred percent sure. Taleb. Sure. Yes.
0: Yes, it was Taleb. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, the idea
0: is um, it's not that. You are able to control antifragility. So anti fragility is an emerging property. So to be antifragile, you have to give up control. Now, this is not something that most organizations would like to do. So that's the first point. If you if you need to give away the right measure of control so that your organization can be can can perform better in stressing times. And uh, there's another couple of points. Uh, One is that we actually use metaphors in in our work. So in the book, there's an entire um, chapter about mythology. So we are using mythological figures as a means to uh, grasp the disruptions that are incoming. Wittgenstein used to say that the limits of my language are the limits of my world. So, to understand a new world, you need a new language. And how can we build this new language? By using the language we have in a, in a way it's not supposed to be used. And that's what metaphors are. Metaphors are a way to use language in a way it's not supposed to be used. And in this, in, in our work on mythology, we're looking at the machine human machine continuum by pinpointing five places, five places. And so we have demigods centaurs, knights, minotaurs, and monks, depending on where you are in the human machine continuums. Uh, very important, there's not judgment in any of the five. All of, of the five are very important for the entire organization. You can't just have an organization that's just done by, made up by demigods or just by centaurs. You need all the five figures. You need diversity, even in metaphors, even in complexity, even in your organization. And then we go through uh, 22 uh, new disciplines for a, a, a human resources function that's ready for the 20, 22nd century. <clears throat> and we look at several of the ways and, uh, and means in which you can not just manage, but empower your capital. And so we have, for instance, aspirations and in life design. So that's something you can offer to your workforce, Uh, not employees, but workforce. So designing their entire path, their entire career, not just within the organization, but looking, and not just in life, but looking at their entire span of life and their in life and online. So their on life presence. There's human autonomy teaming, capital management, not just looking at humans, and thinking of machines as part of your capital. There's something that no one was looking at when we wrote the book because we wrote the book before Meta, uh, you know, branded the metaverse. So we're looking at mirror world and we have employee branding and avatars as a function in the, in the future ready human resources. So uh, there's plenty of, of prompts and, and cues for thinking uh, in the book. And it's very actionable.
1: It, it sounds like it is, and you can probably derive a lot of, uh, practical implications, um, from that. Um, and I guess this is, um, tightly connected with, um, something you touched on earlier, um, um, in, in our conversation, which is, um, human sustainability. So, and I guess there is um, um many different aspects to that, but you know, one is that given that at least right now, life expectancy. So the time you, a, a human individual will actually be on earth is rising. Um, and I guess soon it will be no surprise anymore to see people getting, you know, 100 years and older as a new standard. H- how does this all connect? Yeah, you know, increased life exp- um, 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 lifespan for humans on earth. Um, then you have um, certainly a longer um, period where you seem to be working in maybe one, two, three, four, whatever um, organizations. Plus, saying, well, you know, also touching human sustainability. So, I, I guess this is, you know, kind of all um, addressing and pointing towards one of the ultimate goals, which might be human sustainability. But, but how how does it connect in in detail?
0: Uh, that's, I mean, you uh, really hit the nail on the head here. the The idea is that you know, human sustainability is about increasing the importance and relevance of human beings. Uh, regardless of the race, culture, uh, and, and preferences of any kind. So it's a, a, a more equitable, fair, and uh, open way of um, growing as a, as a civilization um, by putting humans at the center. So looking at human sustainability means understanding how we ca- how can we maintain the relevance of humans in a future that's being even more disrupted by machines. Right. So how can we, um, that's the point, being able to anticipate these changes and so being able to develop a workforce or, and, and talents that are fit for future is at the core of the work that we've done for HR Futures 2030. Uh, the idea is, for instance, uh, when you look at human predictive maintenance. Uh, The idea is being able to have an evolution of what Stanford calls skill prints. So the idea in the 2025 vision of Stanford is having like these fingerprints, but for skills. Uh, How we see this, however, is not that you don't have just pictures of your skills because your skills evolve with time. And the way you're able to capture a possible uh, abilities you have Look at me. I had a, a PhD in string theory and astrophysics, and, uh, but I am a futurist. So the way you connect these things is across time. Now, to do this, uh, it's very important to have this vision of you know skills evolving with time. And how we do this is uh, using what we call a skills DNA or a skill picture. So a sculpture, but with skills. Uh, so that we're able to have this three-dimensional spatiotemporal representation of skills uh, for a single profile. So we're able to capture these cross-correlations. Um, if we're able to, to seize this, then we're also able to uh, de- develop and deliver a much more meaningful um, much more meaningful strategies for human sustainability
1: okay i understood that that sounds brilliant now um when we let, let's turn our focus maybe to you know some recent project obviously you you can talk about nothing confidential or so um where you actually applied you know these principles um and these approaches um for the better can you share some you know examples um uh, might be industry corporations with private or even public companies doesn't really matter um and, and how, how do you approach that what approaches did you use um and how you know how much out into the future did you actually look at? Was it 10 years, 20 years, 50, 100 um, in, in that project?
0: So um, there's we have several projects that are currently ongoing. Um, one of them is uh, with the Swiss Armed Forces and uh, it's called Tech Plus. Because when you look at technology foresight, it's not just tech, it's plus. So uh, Tech Plus looks at what we call technology spectrum, what NATO calls technology spectrum. So we're as we Center for Positive Futures, we're also part of several NATO research task groups. Um, I'm in, in several of them. Uh, one of them is about how can technology um, change uh, the way we look at the future operating environment, how technology developments can impact the future operating environment. Um, now, it's a nice trivia is that this group was once called TechROCKS with an entire acronym. Um, but I mean, the idea is that looking at uh, a technology, you need to understand what's at the core of technology. What th- what's the ontological existence of technology when it comes to, uh, you know, understanding how the nature of technology will evolve over time in a time of exponential progress. And the nature of technology is that it's something that lets us interact with nature. So to understand how technology evolves or can evolve, how what are the possible or impossible developments of technology, because the impossible are much more fun than the other, um, you have to look at how you can understand nature and there's this technology spectrum that's about uh, space time perception cognition and choice is one of the uh, of the ways we are looking at uh you know pushing the 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 envelope of future studies by looking at um you know radical notions today how far do we do we look well, um, that's an, an interesting question. Uh, by definition, nothing that's less than 10 years is foresight. Um, so if you're doing foresight, the least you can do is 10 years. So it's, um, it can be a matter of conversation when you hear industry saying that their strategic horizon is five years or three years. I would argue that in that case, uh, what you're doing is not a strategy, you're executing the present um, So how far then? How can you pick uh, 10, 20, 35, 52? Uh, well, there's, there's research on the fact that the time you need to field an entirely new capability is 20 years So from the moment you think of having a big red button on your desk to the moment you can have the big red button on your desk, having uh, lots of hell that can be unleashed, um, it takes 20 years. So a capability development wave, as it's called, um, is a 20 years time span. So either you look at multiples of 20, or you can look at infrastructure development waves. There's research showing that infrastructure develops over waves of multiple of 55 years. That's the time span of a quantitative wave. Uh, so if you look at the development of the railway, for instance, uh, over uh, the, the territory of the United States, that took 110 years. Uh, the, um, the infrastructure for air travel took 55 years to develop. Um, then, so either it's multiple of 20 or it's multiple of 55. There's also research showing that you can see, you can look at third harmonics of cognitive waves. So looking at time spans of 17 years, uh, and that still makes sense when it comes to economic cycles. So here's how we look at things. So what you usually do is either looking at multiple of 20s or looking at multiple of 55.
1: Mm, understood. On, on the Kondratiev waves, isn't isn't that you know true that you know the 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 t- cycles of the Kondratiev waves actually you know getting shorter over time? I mean, yes, uh, fifty five years might be our assumption for now, but given technological progress and maybe even exponential acceleration, th- does that still hold true in the future that you're trying to project?
0: Chris, I love this question. Uh, the um, because it it's it gets to a halfway explanation of why Kondratiev waves. Will still be 55 years uh, because it's true that we do have exponential acceleration of technology. And in, so in this sense, what we are able to achieve compresses exponentially. It's also true, however, that the intensity of the wave increases exponentially. So what we are able to achieve with one infrastructure wave is not what we're able to do, what we were able to do with the previous infrastructure wave. I'll I'll give you an example. Um, there's a whole lot of of discussing um, about using modeling and simulation for. Um, you know, for, for design and to accelerate the, also the 20 years capability waves. Um, now, and people show how they're able to uh, reproduce uh, previous developments in like five years. And that's the entire point. So you're able to use uh, the, the next wave technology to compress the previous wave. And that's perfectly fine. But the point is, where is it that you're able to land by using that 20 year technology to develop that wave, that s- exact same wave technology? So you're able to. So what I'm saying is the wave, the time is fixed. It's the intensity that increases exponentially. So we will still have infrastructure wave and capability waves that long. But what we'll, we'll be able to achieve at the very end. Uh, is exponentially
1: more he is a lot more and exponentially more okay, okay, got it that makes sense I guess um that that's cool now um you know <laughs> what I would be also interested to hear um is can, can you can you talk about some of the um methodologies uh, you are applying um maybe in that project with the Smith um, armed forces? Um, you know, is it, is it, um, a rather qualitative? Is it a rather quantitative approach? Is there some, you know, mixing between qualitative and quantitative data? So how do you typically tackle this with, um, with which methodologies?
0: Um, so it's what we do and it, uh, when we have a very, um, uh, very broad toolbox. So uh, I'm coming with more than a couple of hundred techniques and methodologies from, uh, from the defense world and uh, you know the that world, right? Um, the idea though is that we're able to tailor a single pipeline for each of the issues we have. So there's not a single methodology that we're using every time um, because otherwise, you're back into uh, the the example of a uh, of someone going around with a hammer and anything that they see is a nail um and that's you can't do that <clears throat> you can't do that in defense because in defense if you if you if there's something failing people die usually so you have to be extremely careful in how you're tackling problems when you're giving them in the defense world so i'm bringing this uh, attitude and this posture in what I do with governments and education, academia and business. So I'm looking at problems in the broadest way I can uh, so that we're able to deliver something that is specific to that problem. Now, uh, it's, of course, it as most most of, of issues in, in foresight, it goes through doing brainstorming, doing a lot of literature review, uh, you know, doing uh, s- uh, signals and-, and storing signals, understanding signals. what we what we do is, of course, as we are um, part of the Association of Professional Futurists, we uh, latch onto the uh, foresight competency model. So uh, we go through the six step competency model and we uh, you know, so that we're able to uh, deliver the uh, exact things at the exact place. So, um, uh, designing, sync, scanning, uh, um, futuring, visioning, uh, and you know and then the the um, uh, final part of delivering. So, um, <clears throat> is it qualitative or quantitative? <sighs> There's no matter of fact about the future uh, first data's law. So, mm, it can be quantitative. It, it it is qualitative always can it be quality quantitative uh to a point uh you can imagine having um if you're doing something that's uh very in-depth you can imagine starting creating um you know key performance indicators in for instance a portfolio of scenarios if you do scenario planning You don't just, just just a notice for those who are not very familiar with scenario planning, you don't just do one scenario, make one scenario, and then you plan. Scenario planning is about delivering a portfolio of scenarios that are around some some dimensions. So it's not just, okay, we do four or five because that's all we were able to think about. You decide several dimensions and then you explore how your ability to create uh, worlds that respond to these knobs being turned. Um, If you do this very much in depth, then you're also able to look for quantitative indicators within uh, each of of the scenarios, and then be able to look across scenarios to understand the impact. And that can be sort of quantitative, because then if you're looking across 64 scenarios, for instance, uh, then you're able to, and, and you're able to assess the impact of several factors across them. Then you do have some metrics on the perceived importance of some factors across this uh, range of scenarios.
1: So, like a cross-impact matrix, for example, um, and, and other other techniques that typically can be used. Um, but of course, they rely on human judgment, don't they? Yes, they do. All right. Gabriele, I I could listen to you for many more hours. We have come really far in this episode already. Um, um, It's it's just about time to wrap it up. But before we do that, um, two more questions that I totally need your answer um, on them. So uh, number one is, um, you know, since I have you here, let's take a look into the crystal ball. (laughs) <laughs> the far hours crystal ball, um, could be one, two, three, or however, you know, how much decades you want to look for out for in the future. What can we expect? What's on the broader horizon?
0: Uh, well, that's, that's a, a great question. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up, uh, as from, from one of my latest, um, keynotes, um, so I'd say that 100 years from now, uh, we will be able to, uh, we would have been able to crack um, faster than light travel. So uh, because there are significant signals today, and by being able to travel faster than light, the astronomical trajectory of our civilization will open up to a way we are unable to grasp as of today also because uh, and I in this you know I let my being a tracker uh, uh, you know <laughs> across in this last part of my of the answer um, it is also plausible that you know this this eerie silence uh, that is across universe it, it seems there's no one here um, is also a signal that we are you uh, too far behind with respect to the entire universe level of development. So, going faster than light—that's uh, you know, understanding how serious Mother Nature is about the speed of light—and seems that she's not that serious. Uh, will be a, we will be able to give the the entire civilization on Earth and in the solar system something radically different to uh, to play
1: with. That is. Beautiful. And indeed, that would be a radical thing um, uh, humanity would look out for. <laughs> okay. And finally, you know, I need to ask you the signature rockstar question, right? So when you look back on your professional career, Gabrielle, what, what would you say if you had to pick one? What was your, you know, most impactful innovation rockstar moment so far, at least? Um. So I was...
0: Um in a in a location in Colorado, uh, and the, I was with the chief scientist of the Space Force, and we were running a workshop on on space futures. Um, that was in November 2019, and we were running this workshop. so there were uh, tens of people around the room. With, with sticky notes all over the, the place. The, the entire room was packed and, you know, you could feel the buzz in the air of something great happening. Uh, and so he calls me uh, and he goes like, uh, you know, by walking me across the room, and he says, uh, well, look, um, Michelangelo had stone, uh, Leonardo had inventions. And you've got Post-its. You're the Michelangelo of Post-its.
1: <laughs> Beautiful, the Michelangelo of Post-its. That's brilliant. <laughs> and that sounds like a great rockstar moment, Gabriele. Awesome. And with that, uh, we wrap up this episode with the Michelangelo of Post-its. Um, thank you a lot for taking the time and being part of Innovation Rockstars. A great pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. And to everybody listening or watching, if you like the show, then leave us a rating or a review and share the podcast with friends and colleagues. And if you want to get in touch, simply shoot us a message at info at innovationrockstars.show. Now that's it. Thanks for your time. See you and hear you in the next episode. Take care and bye-bye. was innovation rockstar Gabriella Gabriela Rizzo from the Swiss Center for Positive Futures at the University of Lausanne. If you want to dive deeper into the topic of positive futures or future-ready human resources, or if you'd simply like to give us feedback on this episode, feel free to email us at info at innovationrockstars.show. For more inspiring innovation stories, visit our website at www.innovationrockstars.show or browse to our Innovation Rockstars channel on all major podcast platforms. And while you are here, please leave us a rating for our show.